In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we have before us one of the most difficult parables that our Lord gives to His church, what's called the parable of the unjust steward, the unjust manager. It's difficult because this crook is, in the end, commended. He gets away with theft and he doesn't get punished. And it looks like he's even rewarded for it. Now, we can straight, straighten it, uh, one thing out right at the beginning, and that is that Jesus is not commending to us being thieves. In fact, the moral of the story is in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it falls, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. And then, if we were to keep reading in the Gospel, Luke chapter 16, we would find some of the clearest instructions on how the Christian is to handle money. The one, this is verse 10 to 13. The one who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, says Jesus, serve God and money. In fact, we normally treat this Sunday, the, the ninth Sunday after Trinity, like stewardship Sunday. That is, normally on this Sunday, we consider how it is that the Christian would give their money to support the gospel, the preaching of God's word, the expanding of his kingdom. And it's good for us to do this, to pause a couple of times in the year and ask, do I support the gospel? Do I support the gospel financially? Would it be good to do so more, support the church with more? Do I give my offering with joy? There's a wisdom that dictates uh, how Christians use their wealth and their money. And Jesus says we use it to make eternal friends. But how does this relate to the parable, to the actual parable that Jesus told about this unjust steward? There's a lot going on in the text. And I think if we give the text a bit of a slower read and walk through it, there will be a bit more understanding and a bit of joy as well by time we reach the end. And I have to tell you that I'm especially grateful this week for the work of Ken Bailey, who is a, a scholar who taught and lived in the Middle East for 40 years and saw the customs of these villages unfold and has brought some light to this text for me. You have the text in front of you in your bulletin. This might be one of those Sundays when you just want to follow along. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So, here's the setup. There's a man in a village with a very large estate and a very successful business. And he has a steward. That is, he has a business manager, a man who handles the books and helps with the accounts and all of the business work. This manager is the central character of the story. And he has apparently been unfaithful with the master's goods. And his unfaithfulness has now become such a scandal that word gets back to the master. Hey, this guy is wasting your stuff. Now, two important things to note here. First, that the people of the village love the master. They know that the, that the bad activity that's going on is not the master's fault, but the steward's fault, the manager's fault. They trust the 
master and they want him to know what's happening. Second, and this is really quite wonderful, the word in the text here for wasting, when it says that this guy was wasting his possessions, is the same that appeared in the parable right before this one, at the end of Luke 15. That's the parable of the prodigal son. Remember? Went to the foreign lands and wasted his father's goods. This guy is doing the same thing, wasting his stuff. And I think when we get down to it, we see that these two parables actually have a, a lot in common. Verse 2. And he, the master, called to him the steward and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. You can no longer be manager. The first question the master asks him is a setup. He says to him, I heard something is not right. What's going on? And he gives him a chance to, 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 to come clean, to talk and implicate himself. But this steward, this master, doesn't say anything. So the master says, turn in the books, you're done. The man was fired. Now he is at this point not authorized to conduct business on behalf of the manager. So he's going over to the office to get the records of the accounts and turn them in. And he's having an internal conversation as he goes. What in the world am I going to do next? How can I get another job? It sounds like this, verse 3. The manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, that is to do manual labor. I'm ashamed to beg. He has some dignity and he doesn't want to give that up. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. He's got a plan. As he's walking back to the office, the light bulb goes on. But the text doesn't tell us what it is. We have to watch it unfold. We have to see this guy's plot in action. But we might consider some things that he might do. Here, here's some options. He might say to the master, I know you've heard a lot of things about me. There's a lot of rumors flying around. And you know how it is. All of us guys who work with money, we generally are hated by different people. My accusers, they're all jealous and they're lying. He might defend himself. He might call for a confrontation. I've been accused by all these people in secret. No one came to me face to face. I'd like to see if they would say it, if they were standing right here in front of me. He might plead his own innocence like this. Well, Master, uh, let's look at the books. There you'll find that everything is precisely in order. There's nothing wrong at all. He might make an appeal to history or sentimentality. We've worked together for all of these years and years. You're not going to let a little rumor, a thing like this, destroy all of the success that we've had. He might blame other people. The people that he works with. The people that work for him. He might blame the master himself. I don't have a thousand eyes. I can't see everything. You've been out of town a lot lately. Your instructions weren't exactly clear. It's not my fault. He could gather all of the leading people of the village. You know, the rabbi, the Pharisee, uh, some of the landowners, the judge. Gather them together and, and bring them together to the master. And they would say, now I hear you have a little bit of trouble. We don't want things to go bad in the village. Let's just sort this out amongst ourselves. We can take care of it. Th this, this steward has options. He could have done any of these things or any combination of these things. 
But what he does is, is totally unexpected and very, very risky. Here it is, verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he says to the first, how much do you owe my master? He sends out the staff to gather the, the debtors, the people that owe his master's his master money, to gather these debtors, and he brings them there one by one. The staff obviously doesn't know this guy's been fired yet. And he sits down with each of these debtors one by one because he doesn't want people talking to each other. That would blow the plot. And there he sits in the office and he asks them how much they owe. Now, he knows how much they owe. He's the one that keeps the book. He has the ledger. He could just pull out the desk file and look how much they owe. But he wants them to to say how much it is so that it's verified. You owe this much. It's true. I'm not making anything up here. This is how much it is. And then this, verse 6. The man says, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, and this is a side point. We might wonder at the difference why he cuts one man's bill in half and the other man's bill by only 20%, right? But apparently 50 measures of oil is about the equivalent to 20 measures of wheat. They have the same value. So he's cutting the same value off of each debt. And that value is quite large. About a year and a half of a man's wages. And this man has them, this steward has them change their own bill. So he, so they have it in their own handwriting. And you know how it would be. All these landowners and all these farmers and all of these businessmen in town have just been given a massive amount of money, a huge chunk of change. And they are all, they are all now praising, and note this, they're praising not the steward, but they're praising the steward's master for his generosity. They're sending him gifts, bottles of wine, new clothes, inviting the master to their parties. And the whole village is praising the generosity of this man, a generosity that they've never seen for a thousand years. They're singing his praises. The master is the greatest man we've ever seen. You've got the picture? And now the steward returns with the books and the accounts that have just been changed and the people's own signatures. And now this master has a choice. He can either go out to the village, to all the people dancing and singing his praises, and he can say, my steward lied to all of you. You still owe me the money. And you can hear the DJ's music screech to a halt. <laughs> The joy and exaltation that all the people had for this master just falling to the ground. The anger and grumbling that would start to come towards this master and his steward. He could do that. Legally, he could do that. But imagine the damage. The damage to the village. The damage to his reputation. The damage to his good name. The damage to his own generosity. And here's the point. The steward knew the master and he knew that he wouldn't do it. 
The steward, this steward, this unjust steward knew that the master was generous and he puts all of his eggs in this one basket, the generosity of the master. And he was right. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master must have looked over the books and looked at this, this steward and with a wry smile said, You rascal! <laughs> you knew me. You knew my generosity. You're a smart one. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the, than the sons of light. Now, word would get out pretty quickly that the, that the steward was fired, that all the changes were illegal, that the master was indeed generous, and that he gave the people all of this money simply out of the goodness of his heart. And I suspect that when this steward went around looking for jobs, for a job, that none of the farmers would really want to hire him that bad, but they couldn't afford not to because look at this guy. I don't want him working for the guy down the street. <laughs> so he would have himself a job and a life and a livelihood simply because the master was generous. So the text. And what's the lesson? I think the lesson that we learn from this is quite simply this. You and I, dear friends, have nothing but the generosity of God. We have nothing to depend on, nothing to lean on, no way to defend ourselves. We have no goodness, no merit, no worthiness, nothing to plead when our last day comes. We throw ourselves completely on the generosity and the mercy and the kindness of God. This is the shrewdness of faith, that we put all our eggs in one basket, all of them in one basket, and that is the cross. The death of Jesus for us. And when we do this, we find ourselves with a gracious Heavenly Father. We find ourselves with Jesus, crucified and raised for us. We find ourselves with God the Holy Spirit, testifying of the limitless love of God. We find ourselves with a Master, with a Lord, with a God who is good and who is eternally generous. This is our only hope in life and in death, but it is a hope that is sure. Amen. And now may the grace of God and His peace, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.